Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the show that tells the story of diverse leaders who found belonging in our industry, so you can too. I'm Nicole Kasperson. For this special episode, I had the absolute pleasure of visiting the Nasdaq market site in Times Square to chat with Brandis DeSimone, AVP and Head of America's Data Sales at Nasdaq. For over a decade, Brandis has called Nasdaq home, so she's seen firsthand the evolution of the fintech space, from fledging startup to IPO. And Brandis is determined to leverage her experiences as a former U.S. Navy vet during one of the most horrific times in our history to show why she makes a great partner throughout the life cycle of a fintech company. In this episode, we discuss Brandis's background starting at the U.S. Navy Academy, her experience in a largely male-dominated field while in the military, how she translates those experiences into her role at NASDAQ, and the unique ways NASDAQ is working with fintech companies to drive the future of innovation in financial services. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Humans of Fintech. Thank you very much. I'm so excited to have you on the show, Brandis. I'm so excited to be here. This is a long time coming for us, Mm -hmm. live at the NASDAQ market site. This is a first for me, so thank you so much for inviting me here. I wanted to, this has been my home for the past 11 years. There's so much history in this space. We moved here in January 2000. And the market has just transformed both on the fintech side where you're focused, but also on the IPO market. It's just been a tremendous place to be and to see everything going on here. You know, last year we had over 750 or around 750 IPOs come here to NASDAQ. Crazy. Um, (laughs) This year we have about 70 so far. So obviously everyone's a little bit pessimistic about the market, but we're still seeing IPOs come to market and raise that capital and invest in their companies. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about, uh, on the way here this morning, I was thinking about the IPOs that did go public in this building last year and what that means to me. And I was thinking about some of the female CEOs and founders of Rent the Runway, 23andMe, Vimeo, some of the really cool companies that women have now brought to the public markets. Yeah. And and how iconic is it that we are here hosting this podcast, a kind of not a first, well, what I see is sometimes a first, a very an independent fintech female hosted and curated podcast yes. here together, kind yeah. of on that line. But what's interesting, I think, about this conversation is that we're here at this, you know, iconic site here at Nasdaq, but this this show is really about you and getting to <laughs> right. know you yes. and getting to know your background. And I know it has a huge influence over who you are and that your connection to the fintech space and why Nasdaq has been your home for all these years. Right, yeah. So I, I want to hear about it. I know it starts with your your Navy background yes. and you attending the U.S. Navy Academy. Yes. So let's just maybe start there. Start there. And connect those dots. Sure. So as we had discussed before, I attended the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. That's where I went to college. I went to school there before 9-11 happened and was there during 9-11. So the environment that I entered into was very different when I left. We were in the state of war. The military and the armed forces were in a completely different place when I left the Naval Academy. The Naval Academy is an interesting place. Not only is it a leadership laboratory where you literally learn how to lead by being a follower. You start off as a follower, and then you, as you're going and progressing through the school, you learn how to be a leader. It's also very heavily male-dominated. Mm-hmm. They're working on it. Just like we are in the financial services industry, they're trying to have more diverse, you know, women students there. It's also an engineering school by its birth and by its heart. So every student there, whether you major in English or history, 
you actually have a bachelor's of science degree. The reason for that is because they believe that every leader needs to understand the technology that they're working on. Mm-hmm. So if you are a lieutenant or a captain of a ship and something happens to your engines, you need to really be able to understand how those engines actually work in order to troubleshoot and to help your team fix what's going on in that ship. Or if that missile has an issue yeah. or you need to have that you know, ability to really understand, even if your passion is something completely different. It's mm-hmm. the fundamentals. And I really feel like that belief in understanding the fundamentals of technology has carried me through my career because that's really how finance is. It's all about the, the backbones of market structure, technology, being able to work it means really being able to understand it. I love where you're getting at because I think two things. One, when you're a leader in any capacity, I've recently learned, or you're an entrepreneur, that being a generalist in a sense is such a major aspect of it. Yes. Or just understanding, right, that foundational right. aspect. So in this case, it's the technology. Right. And what's and that's what's actually so exciting about the fintech space, right? Because right. there's maturing technology, there's enough of it. Yep. All it takes is being able to use it in a in an intentional way right. uh, to help change the financial system, to help change the world, to to do all the amazing things that fintech is meant to do. Right. So I do feel like maybe you have this connection between creating a better place or a better world. Right. You know, that, that we're in and that same promise that fintech offers. I think that's where my role in being on this podcast a little bit different than a lot of your previous interviews in the fact that I'm not building a fintech, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of your other podcasts have been with people that have created something and they're passionate about building this one specific type of fintech that's serving this one specific type of market. And that's not where I sit and that's not where NASDAQ sits. We are providing the capabilities for these Mm -hmm. fintechs to be born, both on the IPO side on bringing them to market, having them go public here at NASDAQ, but then where I sit, which is in our data business, right? And giving them the fuel the actual content that they need to pump into their applications and their technology as they're building it. So someone comes to us with this great idea. They're a technologist. They have an engineering degree from wherever, you know, but they want to focus on this problem that they saw. And it's something in the retail brokerage space, for example. But they don't understand the market structure. Mm -hmm. They don't understand data, right? And that's where we have this pivotal role in trying to help this builder, this founder, get from ideation Mm -hmm. to actual creation by giving them the tools that they need and the education that they need. Mm -hmm. So we're in a unique space because we're not just building, in my opinion, we're not just building one fintech. We are enabling, you know, and it's a, it's really a flywheel effect, right? Mm -hmm. So I I talked to you today yes, and you have this great idea. You want to build a fintech that's going to solve a problem or change the way that people work or change the way that people interact with each other. So you call me and we talk through how our data and our APIs can help you get to where you need to go for your launch of your application. And then you do your pre-seed round investing. You do your Series A and Series B. Now you're really at a point where you want to take your company public, right? So now you come and you list your company here on NASDAQ and you raise all this new capital that's going to fuel into your business. 92% of job growth occurs when a company goes public. It's about the entire ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that flywheel effect you mentioned, I love that you mentioned that because it's so important, especially when you're a founder, this, you're sitting in the founder seat, right, for a second, which I am not a fintech founder either. (laughs) I've never worked in the space. I'm a journalist, right? Right, And so my- my, entrepreneur. 
That is true. That is true for content yes. in the fintech space. Right. So in a sense, we kind of share that, right? Like right. not technically building a fintech, but right. enabling more fintech to happen, right? right? So so we have that similarity. I love yeah. that. Yeah. But, you know, what you're kind of getting at is this ability to create more. Right. And what's cool about fintech is that it is the alternative version of finance. It is bringing in a new system, yep. right? Not necessarily changing the old one. Right. And we need maybe some larger institutions, right, to help fuel that mission. Right. It can't be done on on your own. Right. It can't just be one entrepreneur who's like, I'm going to change the world because they right. all want to change the world. Right. There needs to be, you know, someone that stands behind them as the foundation. Right. You know, yeah. I, I have someone like that, too. Like, you know, just like Nasdaq is for, for other fintech companies. Right. Yeah. It's partnership. Yeah. Right. And I've been here for 11 years. We've seen companies go from creation to, you know, mm-hmm. Amazon style, Google. Yeah. We're talking about in Microsoft, some of the largest companies that are on the NASDAQ 100. We've seen that lifespan. And you're never going to get off the ground if you don't have a couple of partners that you actually trust have your well-being at the forefront. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I speak to a fintech that's starting up, it's not about what what are you going to do with NASDAQ today? It's, right. it's where are we going to check, check in again in six months? Mm-hmm. When a question comes up, just call me. Yeah. If something seems weird and you're getting strange advice, just let me know. Or, okay, we've seen that done before and it doesn't usually work well. Why don't you try it this way? Mm-hmm. Or why don't you look at this? Set? Let me explain the way the markets work, right? There right. are 16 different options exchanges. There are 13 different equities exchanges. This is the way trading actually happens, right? Trying to be a person helps educate. The partnership, the financial relationship, that happens way, way, yeah. way later. You start by being a human. You do. Uh, yes. Start by being a human. 100%. Humans of yeah. fintech. Yes. Oh my gosh. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I named this thing the right thing. Anyway. So, I mean, well, what you're getting at, right, is that human element, the human connection. Mm-hmm. I think far too often, and the pandemic kind of helped us, I think, make that switch, right? Yeah. But before it was like, okay, well, what's the ROI or how right. do we move fast? Yeah. Or like, oh my gosh, I'm a fintech founder and I'm working with NASDAQ. That can be kind of intimidating. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, take someone like yourself or, you know, you and your team and whoever you work with right. to say, hey, let's be a human first. Let's talk yeah. to them on a human level, yep. almost like this. Let's have a conversation mm-hmm. and then we can go on to the next thing. And then we can think about how, how is this partnership right. blossoming? Just like any good partnership, right. you have to talk about you know, the values first, right? Yeah. You have to have that connection. And so, you know, the, we, I'm glad we've gotten to a point in the world where professionally we're, we're realizing this. Right. And is there anything about your, you know, maybe your background in particular that makes you kind of so amazing at that human connection? When I left the military, right, I had been overseas on a Navy yeah. destroyer supporting Operation Iraqi Freedom, Enduring Freedom, the global war on terror. We were doing anti-piracy off the Horn of Africa, right? I had a large team under me you know, as an officer in the Navy. And I got, I knew I wanted to work in New York. I got to New York and no one would hire me. And this was 2007, 2008. This is when the mark, everything was good, right? Unemployment was low. The mark, you know, it should have been very easy for me to get a job, but no one would believe in me because I didn't have a history in doing whatever that job was, Mm -hmm. right? And I wasn't good at knowing at that point how to network. Because when you're in the military, you're not taught about networking and asking for help, right? The military is all about doing your job. 
yeah. and not asking questions. Kind of individualization. Individualization, yeah. not asking questions, getting the job done, right? Mm-hmm. If you can't figure something out, your job is to figure it out, yeah. not to go and ask somebody, can you teach me? Mm-hmm. Have you been through this before? Mm-hmm. So when I got to New York, I treated myself like an island, a female island. Mm-hmm. And I sent out, I sat there at my computer and I sent out resumes and I did it and I did it. And I was like, okay, every day I'll do 500. And I, because that's how I knew how to operate from my military experience. And it wasn't until I was actually watching a recorded interview of a woman named Janet Hansen. Mm. You know who she is? Mm. Janet Hansen was the first woman to make managing director on the sales and trading floor at Goldman Sachs. Oh. And she really, really struggled as a woman to figure out all the power dynamics that were at place as literally being the first person to have to make that path for herself. And there was an interview with her on TV and I was watching it in this desolate space where I was feeling like I just did this great thing serving my country and going out there and leading these, these sailors and no one's giving me a chance. So she went on to found an organization called 85 Broads which is the actual address of, it was the address of Goldman Sachs at the time, right? It's very ironic, 85 Broads. They were on 85 Broad Street. She founds this organization just for women helping women. The uh, organization's now been acquired by Sally Krawcheck and it's uh, part of the Elevate Elvest program. So that's where it is today. But I sent like customer service at 85broads.com an email in the middle of the night. My name is Brandis. I am a military veteran. I went to Annapolis. I'm trying to get a job. I, you know, it's about, you know, a, a, a desperate email. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I saw your interview and, you know, she writes me back. Oof. She writes me back. Yes. And she said, listen, I'm going to help you, but I need you to learn how to network. So I'm going to introduce you to three people and you're going to meet them. You're going to meet them in person. And after you're after you meet with all three of these people, you're going to ask them for three more people that they know. And then you're going to do exactly what you did last time and get, so your network is going to suddenly become this, you know, reverse funnel. And that's what I did. Um, She set me on a path. She introduced me to a woman at JP Morgan who had gone to West Point, a woman at Morgan Stanley who had gone to West Point, and then Harvard Business School, and then a woman from Annapolis that at the time was at Lehman Brothers. And the woman from Morgan Stanley met me at the Harvard Club and she said, we're going to sit under the only, for lunch, and we're going to have lunch, I'm going to tell you how we're going to make this work for you. And we're going to sit under the only portrait of a woman that's at the Harvard Club. And so we sat at that table and she, they explained to me how to network, how to make the, you know, these relationships. And ultimately, it led to my first job in finance, which was on the trading floor of Merrill Lynch and sales and equity trading, which I never would have landed if it weren't for these three women mm-hmm. that Janet Hansen connected me to, a complete stranger over email in the middle of the night. And now networking and human interaction, women helping women. So when I got to NASDAQ, I helped found our first, you know, women's group, mm-hmm. women's network group, because that's what it was. It was these three women that took me under their wing and helped me get my first job. But then there's the other underlying problem that I was a veteran who just couldn't figure out had a transition into corporate America, which is a problem everyone knows exists. So then just a couple of years ago here at NASDAQ, we founded our veterans program as well. Because, you know, if we could just help mentor each other, look out for, you know, little me who was in my apartment in New York City, not if someone could have identified me ahead of time and brought me over here to NASDAQ, um, you know, Mm -hmm. that's that's what we're trying to achieve. It's community. It's complete community. It's professional community. Right. And common understanding, right? These women had gone through this experience before. 
Exactly. And they were able to show me the way to do it, the best path, right? That's what we are also now doing in this fintech space. Mm -hmm. We've been here. We've lived it. Let us help guide you. We want you to succeed. There's nothing that we want, I want more personally, that NASDAQ wants more than all of these, you know, fintechs to succeed, especially coming out of COVID. You know, I know we're going to dip into this in a bit, but like Mm -hmm. the retail space, like that's the next thing to talk about, right? right? So the emergence of retail, 2020, all the new competitive fintech broker applications or media portals that are giving you finance information, that's where we're looking next on making sure that those fintechs themselves stay alive and then the retail clients that they serve are safely invested, educated, and stay participating in the markets. Yeah, and what a better way to have leadership in that space than to cultivate that with a lot of women, a lot of women-founded firms and and helping them kind of reach the scale that they need to to help spread that message, right? It's that flywheel that you talked about and and that theme there. I mean, if there is anyone in particular that maybe helped you feel like you belonged, it was, you know, that story. Right. And that's amazing because I think that now you think about what that did for you, right? You had the conviction to just email someone. I'm a little like that. Right. So I, I love this story because I'm the same way. Like, I'll just like email someone no right. matter how crazy it is. And she's like, <laughs> of course they can do is say no. Right. <laughs> and you never know. They might respond. Right. And then to top it off, you, you met with someone who kind of taught you immediately how to pay it forward yeah. and did it in a way with action. Right. It's not that doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes you meet a woman in the, in the space who is so amazing, but maybe makes you feel like you have to have male tendencies or makes you feel like you can't completely be yourself or doesn't actually teach you a way to pay it forward or makes right. it feel like there isn't enough space for everyone yeah. when there so is. Right. There's enough space for literally everyone, not right. just women, right. everyone. Right. Yes, I so, agree. Anyways, that's just that was such a cool aspect of that story. And I think it does tie directly into this next wave of, of fintech. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the fintech space, and the change you want to see in it, what is that change and how do you embody it? I think my answer if we did this interview two years ago would be completely different. Yeah. Even if we did this interview in December, mm-hmm. right? The markets have been so generous over the past couple of years. And, you know, you didn't even have to be picky. And typically your investment would do well. So, you know, coming out of COVID, we saw this surge in interest in the markets. You know, sports were closed. Everything was closed. And the one thing that you could do to play and participate were the markets, right? So we had been, we were hunkering, we were hungry for retail interest and especially younger interest Mm -hmm. to come into the markets for years now. And it was finally, you know, COVID was terrible, but that was a gift that we were given from COVID was this new interest in the markets and this new participation. So we were grateful for that. And they were rewarded by excellent market performance, But that is not what is happening now. That is not what is happening in 2022. So we have, in my opinion, a B2B relationship and a B2C relationship, Mm -hmm. right? So almost the first time. For almost the first time. For almost the first time. So we want these fintech applications to continue to provide value to their customers because they are doing an important thing for the markets. They're keeping retail interested. And they're also democratizing the markets by giving access. They're democratizing. You talk about this a lot in your show. It's not just a certain generation of wealth that is able to access the markets now. I mean, you can take your savings account now in areas of the country or, you know, areas of 
income where they're, they were not typically participating in the markets. Now they can access very easy downloadable apps where they can take, you know, a portion of their savings and they can put it into the markets and it can return investments for them. They can build generational wealth. Mm-hmm. So we want these fintechs to stay afloat. We want them to continue to be empowered. So what does that mean? Well, low cost and low barrier of entry. Mm-hmm. So easy access APIs, reasonable cost for data, different data, right? Yeah. And we'll talk about that in a second. And then we have these, these retail investors and they're, they were invested in the market, but they're skittish. Mm-hmm. The markets aren't performing well. It's not been you know, a great start to the year. So how do we keep them interested? We keep them interested by saying, let's teach you how to be smarter investors, Let's give you the tools to stay in the markets, but maybe diversify your portfolio in a way that you hadn't been doing in 2021 because you didn't need to. Let's take some of your stock portfolio and put it into ETFs and indexes where it's safer investing. The NASDAQ 100 has outperformed the markets for the past 12 years, indexes like that. And then, you know, us thinking more creatively at NASDAQ in my business on what data sets can we offer these Bs that can give it to their Cs that can help preserve their wealth and make them smarter investors. Thematic analyzing of portfolios, right? So if you are invested in ETFs and indexes and single stocks, have you actually thematically looked at your entire portfolio to see if you're really completely overweight in tech? <laughs> you probably are, right? I am. So lo- not looking at your portfolio from a sector base, but I th- you know, we can do that analysis for you here at NASDAQ. ESG. Right. Right. So take a look at my, hey, you know, Nicole, let's take a look at your whole entire portfolio um, and analyze the risk on being exposed to the market, the risk on your thematic investments, the risk on your ESG, and then let you know the health of your portfolio. So that's, I think, where we were just investing in lots of stocks last year. We're moving to think about smarter ways for you to stay invested in the markets, but do it in a way where you're a little bit more protected. And Mm -hmm. it's not just looking at our stock data anymore. It's actually looking at different sets of data that can do that for you. It's taking kind of the foundational aspect of investing because yeah. it got, we got a little lost there, didn't yeah. we, yeah. for a minute? Sure. Yeah. And, it was still, and we're still, so, you know, what, what GameStop did is it was the biggest double-edged sword, right? So right. it brings in, what, 10 million was it? You right. know, new yep. brokerage accounts, like yep. the largest ever seen in like a given few right. months. And that's awesome. We, right. That's exactly what, you know, you're just talking about. That's what we wanted. Right. Now it's like, how do we keep them and we we protect yes. these these retail yes. investors? And that's where these fintech companies come in, right? Yeah. These these you know the the eToros and the you know all these different kind of retail investing platforms. But you're right, I think, when it comes to the data, because while you know data is something that isn't necessarily anything new, what makes data exciting is how much more mature our technology is. Right. And that's where we can maybe unlock right. some of the new ways to actually speak to these yeah. retail investors. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was a on the business section of the New York Times this weekend, there was an article about this exactly. Yeah. And the number they gave was 20 million. Coming after COVID, 20 million new retail investors have opened up brokerage accounts. So, I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's insane. It's insane. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's, it's, 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 there's twofold, Right. We need to help the fintech applications and their end clients, the retail investors, make smarter, educated decisions in order to have the markets work for them in a better way. There's that. But then we also, there's going to be a consolidation in the space. Mm -hmm. We all know this is happening. We're seeing it already a little bit, right, in the M&A space. 
a lot of these fintechs, they did well, they got far, but are they going to go the next step? Probably not, you know, for some of them. But how do we help them have their best shot? Mm-hmm. Right. And so what moves the needle for them? And it's sometimes it's it's really fun, creative data, right, that their users, maybe their users don't necessarily want to be educated. We'll make them get educated. And I'm like, what's fun, but, creative? But what's fun, creative data? FOMO. FOMO. Right. So we launched a new product this year yes. called the Retail Trading Activity Tracker. And it's free. You can actually go, go on Nasdaq.com and download it. But it actually tells you on a day-to-day basis the top 10 retail traders docs for that day. Because retail wants to know what right. retail is trading, right? So there's all this idea of FOMO in the markets. I mean, if you could go and you can log onto your brokerage app and see like in real time, kind of like what everything, like what's going on today in the markets, but not with the banks, not with the high frequency trading firms, but more about like your peers, yeah. the other retail traders. So it's trying us trying to launch other data products that help these fintech brokerages be more sticky, offer really fun data to slice and dice to keep their clients more engaged. Yeah. And then that's not only just engaging for the end user, but also for the folks working in the industry. Yeah. Is it not more fun to be like a little bit creative yeah. In, yeah. in this situation as opposed to being just so transactional or like super? Right. I mean, it's, you know, both analytical and creative. Right. And I think that's what makes folks in the fintech space thrive right. is that they get to be both. Right. And right. so if there's a, a platform or, or, you know, help in any capacity to help yeah move that forward because that's right. that's the hard part the hard yeah. part is being both like people-centric and profit-centric right. it's hard yes. to be creative and analytical it's hard to yeah. be left and right right whatever right. it is so but i think we're entering a space in in our world right as i've said where we have enough of everything that we can do all of yeah all of right. the things one of our fintech clients told me i said how are you adding da- how are you adding content onto your application yeah. you know because we want to know you know, this content is important is for me. You know, so, about. you know, I'm a content provider. That's what yeah. I do. Yes, what you do too, right? <laughs> I'm a data provider. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to be looking at the next best thing, right? So I said, what, what are you adding next to your app? And he said, we are, and this is an ancient quote, but he said, I'm going to, this ancient quote of, we're going to cross the river by feeling the stones. Yeah. He can do that or she can do that with the application. I cannot do that because once he hits that stone, I better have that ready for him. So here in my seat, I'm not just waiting for them to figure out what they want to add. We need to make sure that we have it ready for them. So, mm. you know, by the time they say, oh, my clients are really interested in what everybody else is doing out there in the retail space. Well, don't worry, I already have that data set. Mm. Or, you know, we really want to understand more about women diversity and women on boards. Do you have, don't worry, we already have that data set. So we don't have the luxury of crossing the river by filling the stones. The fintechs do. We have to make sure that once they are ready to add that content set, we have it available and we can provide them with that so they can continue just to grow, service their clients, mm-hmm. keep their applications sticky. You know, that's our goal is mm-hmm. to be a good partner. Yeah, exactly. And I love hearing about your background and how it kind of perfectly ties into this, right? This, this passion. You're clearly very passionate about being a great partner and you had a, a handful of women lead you on this journey. If there was one person that you think our listeners and, and my audience should follow or, or tune into or, you know, someone that kind of is is worth following and kind of being super aspirational here. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who would that person be? I'd be remiss not to mention that NASDAQ CEO Dina Friedman is just a total powerhouse. Yeah. She's just such an inspiration. And as a woman, when I I have two children, but when I got back from maternity leave, I think with my first, 
she was one of the first people I saw and she asked me how the baby was. She runs NASDAQ. Yeah. Right. So Adina is not just a amazing leader, business leader. She's also just an amazing person. Mm-hmm. Um, and she remembers things about, and she remembers to ask those great questions. Um, she's a powerhouse. Our CFO is also a woman, Ann Dennison. She's also a powerhouse, but I think it's a little cliche to name NASDAQ people. So I would say, <laughs> I, thought you would say <laughs> I was ready. For um, <laughs> you know, someone that I've been following through my career and I've had the privilege of meeting a few times, but don't know personally is Stephanie Cohen from Goldman Sachs. Mm. She's looking at the space and she understands this next generation of retail consumer access. She was in strategy and operations at Goldman for her, you know, her, for her career. And now she just pivoted and she's actually running their retail consumer wealth business. She's building Marcus. Oh, yes. Um, so if you're not familiar with Marcus, it's Goldman's new mm-hmm. foray into the retail brokerage space. It's a total digital transformation, a total digital only bank. Historically, if you looked back at investment banks 20 years ago, the retail focus was never something that someone would choose to spearhead and choose to lead. Stephanie has the wherewithal to know that's where the business is going and the the ability to transform a business like that. And so, you know, she's she's running that entire ship. And what I would add to that is that it takes a different perspective and I kind of want to say, you know, a female perspective yeah. uh, to lead something like that, right. to lead something incredibly different, to lead something that has not been done for, d- done before. So that's kind of what makes, you know, that's what I, I love about Humans of Fintech and the platform that you know I've created here is because that's the point. Right. You know, it's not about talking about diversity or inclusion for just diversity or inclusion's sake. It's right. about talking a, a, about the future of fintech and, and the world and creating that that equitable financial future for everyone. Yeah. And who are the leaders in the space that are going to help us get there? It just so happens to be a lot of them are women and, right. and diverse people, whether it be, you know, the way we look or your or, the, or your neurodiversity or right. whatever it is. And yeah. so I just love that you embody that. I, I love that the, the women and the people that you've mentioned embody that. So this is just awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much for this. My final question for you would be, Tell us what we can expect from you next. We're laser focused on, you know, the next evolution of these applications and how we can service them as they continue to grow. I think we're on the precipice of seeing this creation of this new super app, Mm -hmm. which I think we've seen across the consumer space. And I think financial services and fintech is always, not necessarily fintech, but financial services are always a lagging indicator We've already seen the evolution of, you look at companies like Uber and Amazon, even Apple, even looking at PayPal now, being a service across many different classes to service the the single customer. And I do believe that financial services is going that direction. And we're going to see Stephanie Cohen take Marcus into a full suite of services. Someone recently told me about the word fidgetal. Have you heard of that word? No. (laughs) P-H-Y-G-I-T-A-L. I I had to write it down. Fidgetal essentially means this new state that we're in, in transgressing from the physical space Mm -hmm. into the digital space. Right. Right. Think of how we've had to learn from COVID to go from Zoom to meeting in person back to Mm -hmm. Zoom again, right? This whole life that we now lead that's half digital half physical, mm-hmm. right? And I think that we're going to see the fintech community, especially the retail brokerage space, the media portal space to serve finance, having to find their space in this digital world, mm-hmm. um, this new super app digital space. And how can NASDAQ right. be a good partner 
to help them drive into their data needs for the future? How can we continue to evolve our APIs to give instant access, really easy access? And how can we do our best to do focus on what we're best at, which is client success, client service? Call me. Mm -hmm. Let's talk through it. Let's see if we can build it for you. Let's talk about where you're seeing the markets go. That's what we're really here to do as, you know, I've been listening to your, to your podcast and I know that all the folks that are on your podcast are individual founders, entrepreneurs, but I don't necessarily, I was thinking over the weekend, you know, does an entrepreneur mean that you have to own your own fintech? Mm -hmm. Can you be an entrepreneur within a place like NASDAQ? I think you can. Yeah. I would consider myself an entrepreneur because I think in my business where I stand at this company, we are building something. And I don't think you necessarily have to be completely out on your own because big companies like NASDAQ don't succeed without really good ideas from entrepreneurs within the company. Yeah, absolutely. That's how we grow and how we continue to transform ourselves. So, you know, my job is to put on my best entrepreneur hat I have within these walls of this amazing place and try to think about what can we do next to make sure that we are servicing our clients the best way and that while they're crossing that river and filling those stones, we're already there. Well said. Brought the metaphor back in. <laughs> there you go. Who, what, who trained you? <laughs> Amazing. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Brandis, this is so fantastic. You. Thank you so much for this conversation. I'm also just like fangirling right now that you are uh, so into listening to my podcast. So thank you so much for that. But yes. Really, really amazing, amazing show. So yeah. I think the, the viewers are going to obsess over this like I have awesome. in this moment. Yes, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. This is incredible. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. To hear our next story about another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too. 